I'm Skip Papersley with an important news bulletin. Booked episodes available everywhere. Listen to Booked on iTunes, Stitcher, Instacast, Podcast.com, The Zoom Marketplace, and BookedPodcast.com. You can even hear Booked episodes playing through the conference room door of James Patterson's lawyer's office. This has been Skip Papersley reminding you where you can find episodes of Booked. Thank you. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Nedna. This episode, we'll be reviewing Invisible Monsters Remix by Chuck Palahniuk. But before we get into all of that, we'd like to introduce our special um, guest co-host for this episode. Um, For fans of the show, he's absolutely no stranger. And uh, we're going to have Caleb J. Ross on with us to talk about this book. Uh, Here's a little bit about Caleb. All right. So Caleb is an author of literary grotesque and noir fiction dealing with domestic themes his fiction and nonfiction has appeared widely, both online and in print. He's the author of the short story collections Charactered Pieces and Murmurs, Gathered Stories Volume 1, as well as the novels Stranger Will, As a Machine in Parts, and I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin. Caleb, welcome back to Booked. Thank you so much. I am super happy to be here. Yeah, thanks not only for joining us, but for uh, taking time to read a book you've already read. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's mighty white of you there. Luckily, I think it's a good book. So there we go. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, well, if anybody follows your Twitter feed, this has been spoiled already. <laughs> what you think about the book. There are um, two people out there that follow my Twitter feed, so sorry to those two people. <laughs> um, actually, back during the Warmed and Bound sessions, um, Paul and Nick came up a lot as, a, as an inspiration for people either to read more, to get more into reading, or even their writing style was inspired by Paul and Nick. So this being his, uh, his first novel is probably a good place to kind of revisit, um, even for us to show. Rob's never read the book. I read it years and years ago, um, not right when it was out, but I think he had two or three books out at the time. And uh, Definitely turned me on to Polonic's style, too, so I'm happy that uh, we can shoot the shit about it a little bit and, uh, and introduce Rob to this, uh, to this book. Yeah, the, um, and it's not as if I didn't try. I don't know what it was, but um, I, I, I owned, 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 whatever, the book, um, and I gave it a shot three, I think, three different times, and I don't think I could get more than 40 pages in. So finally, I just gave up on it. I was like, you know, I tried. I, I'm just not going to read it, and uh, I never did until we had to for the show. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I, I blasted right through it. I think I read the whole thing in, in, in a day. And um, yeah, we'll talk about it, whether I liked it or not. But uh, I, whatever roadblock that was there in the past, I don't know if it's me that changed or, or whatever. I doubt it was like the, the different formatting of the book. But I blasted through it in just one day now. <laughs> and I had read, I mean, I'd read Polonick's book. So it's like I, I liked his style. I was kind of into it and everything. And I was like, oh, let's go to this one. And just bam, stop me dead. Don't know what it was. Very strange. Yeah. All right. So for any of you who are not familiar, I will say this about Chuck Palahniuk. I took this straight from Amazon. And for a, for a fairly prolific author, he probably has one of the shortest bios I've seen. <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk's novels are the best-selling Fight Club, which was made into a film by director David Fincher. Diary, Lullaby, Survivor, Haunted, and Invisible Monsters. Portions of Choke have appeared in Playboy, and Polonick's nonfiction work has been published by Gear, Black Book, The Stranger, and The Los Angeles Times. Does anybody think it's interesting that there are a couple books he left off of there? There's a few, (laughs) right? There's yeah, like a a lot actually. Tell all snuff. Yep. Tell all. All the later stuff has been left (laughs) off of that. Isn't there one called Pygmy? 
Yes. Pygmy. Yeah. yeah. It, really it, it's it's, it's kind of interesting. I wonder if it's a publishing decision because <laughs> all of the books that are on there that are listed are the books that I think a lot of people would categorize as early Polinic, where a lot of sort of the Polinic hipsters, probably myself included, really favored his stuff. And so maybe that's intentional. They, they don't want to alienate people who have, you know, might not be prepared for something like Invisible Monsters. I don't know. That's interesting. And these are all the books I've read. I read Fight Club, Choke, Survivor, Lullaby, Diary. Those are the ones I'd read. Yeah, that's all the early. Yeah, that's interesting. That's you a good point. Haunted the short stories? No. Oh, no. And yeah, we have story guts in it. I don't know. I liked it. So. Now that I think of it, maybe we should have had Ferg give us a little bit of something because he was. What was the book he was just raging against? He was really pissed off at one of Polonix's books. When oh, we were talking well, about, it could have been any of them. When we were doing late. Damned. <laughs> damned, yeah. I was not a fan of that one either. Um. Yeah. All right. So anyway, here's um. So we're going to be talking about Invisible Monsters Remix uh, tonight, and I'm going to give you the somewhat long synopsis that we pulled. Uh, to where do we get this from? Amazon. Amazon. We always get it from Amazon. Here's the synopsis from Amazon. Injected with new material and special design elements, Invisible Monsters Remix fulfills Chuck Palahniuk's original vision for his 1999 novel, turning a daring satire on beauty and the fashion industry into an even more wildly unique reading experience. Polnick's fashion model protagonist has it all. Boyfriend, career, loyal best friend. Until an accident destroys her face, her ability to speak, and her self-esteem. Enter Brandy Alexander, Queen Supreme. One operation away from becoming a bona fide woman. Laced in are new chapters of memoir and further scenes with the book's characters. Readers will jump between chapters, reread the book to understand the dissolve between fiction and fact, and decipher the playful book design embarking on a ride they'll never Forget. Never forget. <laughs> that that was a really heavy end to that synopsis. <laughs> it really kind of was. It's almost like it's it's like daring you. Like uh, you'll never forget this, or so help me God. We've had some trouble deciding on how spoiler free we want to go with this. The book has been around for a dozen or so years, and lots and lots of people have read it. So I don't know if there's a lot of point to us tiptoeing around it so i don't think we're going to spoil it on purpose but i think we're going to let our guard down a little bit while we're discussing this too mm-hmm. it makes sense especially with our typical audience most of the people that listen to us have most likely read it um but you know there is new material so we can kind of we can we can be careful with that stuff yes i agree who wants to get started who wants to talk about the book a little bit yeah i can jump in actually uh i mentioned earlier a little bit about how this book is because it was his first uh really kind of fully realized novel but third published novel it's it's one that you know a lot of fans uh, sort of became fans of Polnick based on this novel and then later became disappointed with some of his stuff so what i loved about about this book and about a lot of his other earlier books is that he can he can sort of turn a phrase like nobody else you know and and that those turns of phrase are what really kind of drive the plot you know he has a he has these characters that are really for all intents and purposes they don't they don't change much they're not totally rounded but they're just very very quirky and uh he can just sort of infuse them with a lot of clever twists of phrase which i think is probably going to be in a few of our quotes later on but that's one of the things that really drew me to Polinic to begin with so it's kind of nice to be able to kind of bookend my whole Polinic uh experience with a reread of one of his earlier novels 
if he died tomorrow, I guess it would be perfect poetry, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's a little creepy. (laughs) If he dies tomorrow, it's coincidence, I swear to God. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We find out that he died shortly before we started recording this. Be a little That's a polished novel right there. That would, that would fill <laughs> 200 pages. Um, I think that one of the other things that that, that at least endeared me to Paul and Nick was um, so much, uh, the, obviously the writing, like you know, the turn of phrase, but just the bizarre situations that all of these really early characters find themselves in. Because it seems like, with the exception of his last um, book, Damned, uh, it seems like they were starting to get a little more normal. But right around the beginning there, you have invisible monsters that we're going to talk about. But you have Fight Club and everybody knows that story. And, you know, I mean, there's a Choke, which yeah, I guess I was borderline normal. But a lot of the early ones just had the weirdest char- or the weirdest situations for the characters that they were tossed into, much like this book does. It's, it speaks a lot, uh, a lot of your life growing up, Livius, mm-hmm. to know that yes. you consider snuff uh, possibly normal. <laughs> well, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> No, I know what you mean, though. It's And that's one of the things that uh, myself and, and fellow Kansas Cityan and writer Gordon Highland, we, we actually kind of differ. He he really hates how Polinick will do that. He'll he'll take a crazy character, a crazy character quirk, and sort of extrapolate that and make that representative of the world in a way. So you're supposed to sort of believe that these characters exist in a world where things are kind of this crazy and this weird. But me, I, I love that idea. I love that you can sort of distill concepts you can can distill philosophies on sort of a micro level and really explore things on a you know just using one character to represent just an entire mentality or mindset so i i love that and you're right i think later books did kind of turn a little a little give they got they got a little bit more normal and in this book you know just to bring it back specifically to invisible monsters i mean you've got like the synopsis said a, a a model with her face blown off with a with a shotgun or some kind of gun uh and uh and and she's almost the normal one in the book like that seems very strange and weird but she really is kind of the normal one of all of the characters they're all much weirder than she is especially brandy alexander for the protagonist um who has multiple names throughout the book and we're probably gonna talk a little bit about characters weaved in with the story here but um we've opted to go with daisy as uh, as her name um, Daisy Saint Patience. Um, Brandy Alexander gives her numerous names throughout the book, so I think we're going to stick with Daisy for those of you that are familiar or not. That works. Um, right, going back a little bit to what you guys were talking about, um, the Polynix style and everything, um, and uh, this is just completely my personal impression of of his writing in general. But I was like really beholden by it um, back in the day, you know, clo- you know, years and years ago when I read, you know, Fight Club and, uh, you know, Choke and Survivor and all those other ones. Um, and I was like, yeah, this really speaks to me, but I don't know if it's just the time that I've spent reading other stuff or just the different person that I am now, but this kind of over-the-top way that everything was, a lot of things were very extreme, almost kind of was grating on me a little bit. I was like, okay, I get it, you're Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> Let's just do the story. I, I don't know why. It was just, it seemed like it was a little bit much. <laughs> and maybe it's because I didn't have that. Like, Livius really liked Invisible Monsters when he originally read it. And I, like I said before, couldn't get through it originally. But I was just like, all right, I get it. Come on, let's move along here. I do always wonder how much someone, how, how much readers of Polonic keep reading Polonic simply because they always have. Like, for me, I will read 
anything he releases, even though his last, you know, four or five books I really didn't care much for, but I will still read anything he writes. And maybe it is a nostalgic thing. It's he's a writer that kind of really got me into reading to begin with. So I think that's part of it. And I think also he when he was writing in this sort of very uh, staccato way, he he was the only one doing that. And I think the kind of circle that we fall into, the three of us and then the people listening to this podcast probably fall into, is a the type of reading, the type of books that we read generally, I would say, do have the same sort of momentum that a Polonic novel does. Not necessarily the same writing style, but the same kind of momentum and and aggression. And, uh, you know, I think maybe, maybe we've just read it in different ways that, that now work better for us than this than this you know, the staccato sort of verse course verse style that, that Polemic has. Yeah. But yeah, I like your question about, it. I wonder how many people just read it from the nostalgia and everything too. When you say that, I think about all the, you know, the artists and well, you know, not necessarily just books, but like, you know, musicians that I listened to as a child, or like not as a child, but like a teenager, you know, do I still pick them up just because I like their earlier stuff? A lot of times. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to think about. I think for some fans, it could be too that they're just waiting for that magic again, yeah, and yeah. and it, it's a pretty <laughs> consensus view that that the writing style has dropped off a little bit. And I'm not going to say that some of them weren't enjoyable. Um, yeah, nowhere near as much as the early ones. And you know, every time I crack one open, I'm the same way. I just keep reading Paul, and I, I keep hoping to be you know captured <laughs> like I was with this book. I found myself being recaptured with this book because uh, it, it really did remind me of what great work Polinick has produced in the past and what he can produce. And I think the, the writing style, uh, it, 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 I got back into the flow of it possibly just because of the, the, the thematic, the way that it, it's inter integral to the thematic content of this particular book. You know, this book is about very superficial flashy, you know, there's a course line throughout the book where Polinick will use the word flash as a single paragraph, mm -hmm. single word. He'll repeat that over and over. And so in, you know, hinting that the entire theme of the novel is about these quick flashes, these quick jumps, short pieces. So the novel itself plays into that. Then you take later books like, you know, Damned, uh, less so Damned, but then you take other, you know, uh, Rants and really any of his later books where he uses that same style. But thematically, it doesn't make sense to use it in that kind of style. Haunted was another example. I remember very vividly thinking, why are all of these characters all speaking in the exact same staccato, you know, uh, breakneck pace it just doesn't make any sense to me um so i think he's using that as his trademark obviously but he's just not it, it just is one of those styles that doesn't necessarily need to be part of every single book that he writes you know now livius i think you said earlier the writing drops off in his later books is it is it the is it the, the writing quality going down or is it just an evolution of what he's writing about that's changing because i haven't read the later books so i'm not personally familiar with it but well up up through tell all i think he was still trying to do the weird quirky character but yeah the, the story styles have changed so pygmy was um was a little different and pygmy was easily his funniest book i thought and i, I actually you know i mean i don't know it, it was a comedy which his other ones weren't i don't think any of them were meant to be a comedy i know choke was made into a comedy film but i certainly didn't find that an amusing novel when i read it. i mean parts of it were amusing 
Um, but yeah, I mean, when we got into Tell All, I thought it was just just a really dry story. But he was trying to use so in Tell All, it was all of the you know the makeup secrets, and like in Survivor, it was all of the stain removal secrets. So he does always have that recurring. He did something in Damned, and I can't remember what it was. That was like a repetitive. Uh, it was. Um, we talked about this too, not too long. He ago. opened every chapter with that line from that young adult book. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And. And, uh, yeah, she, she was doing something with her parents, too, like talking about her parents. Yeah, there was a couple, there was a two or three, like, gimmicks that he kept going to. So although he uses that very same, you know, kind of structure or, or tries to, as Caleb said, kind of trademark it that way, it's just the stories aren't as interesting, and I don't know that the writing is as good. I mean, just the prose itself. Okay. I wonder if, I wonder if part of it is also that he... And I guess we're kind of getting into, you know, Polonik as an author, but uh, rather than the book itself. But I think that's OK, because that's where the conversation's going. Um, he uh, he is on basically a book a year contract now. And I, I don't know when that started exactly. But the earlier, you know, three or four or five books, uh, I think he could pretty much take those at his own pace. He was probably still working a day job. He probably, you know, did what he could. He didn't have someone breathing down his neck for the next book. But later in his career he's been on a book a year contract and so he probably does have people saying you need to finish this book quickly that could explain where some of the degradation and the quality i would think probably also the story ideas he doesn't have a long enough time to really formulate them you know his earlier books survivor especially fight club definitely invisible monsters they all kind of dealt with a really large theme mm-hmm. uh, something that you know other authors might take hundreds and hundreds of pages to fully capture his later books don't do that he it seems like it's like he tries to do it but really he's more interested in just getting the page count finalized so he can turn in a manuscript all right god that makes it sound so (laughs) unfortunate when you put it that way like (laughs) (laughs) i i wish he would fight back and and say no double day i can't i can't turn a new book into you every year but then he can he's making great money off of it i'm sure so why would he say no you know know, and that's what i'm hoping that his next book will actually be quite a bit better considering he's sort of recycling invisible monsters this year so he has kind of two years to really write his next one so hopefully that'll be a little bit i don't know he wrote those 10 chapters or so yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right so olivia so you're gonna say something I was just going to say, I mean, we had, we've had this conversation a couple times. Christopher Moore kind of does the same thing. He's got his kind of cookie-cutter stuff he puts out, which I still really enjoy, but then he spends three years in the background while he's writing those, working on a book he wants to write. So maybe that's something Mr. Polinick can look at doing. That does seem like a good formula because you're still putting out what you're expected. And, I mean, and he's not lying to himself. He knows, I'm writing these to give me the time to write the big ones. Paulina can give us six or seven more uh, episodes of Damned, and, and in that time he can write the, you know, something the sequel to Fight Club. Please don't give us that many more <laughs> episodes of Damned. <laughs> hey, all right. So about the book. Um, back oh, to the, yeah, the book. Back to the book we read. Um, one of the notes that Caleb had made, which I really was interested to hear perspectives on, was um, how the how to read the book because one of the one of the things about the remix is that uh, the chapters are not in the order that they were in in the original book, um, and it's more in line with his original vision for the story. So I guess that's one of the big questions is how do you choose to read the book? Because at the end of a chapter, it says, please jump to, and it gives you the next chapter that you would read 
to read it in the in the order I'm assuming the original book was in, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So like, but you don't have to. So that's kind of an interesting thought. Did we all read it the same way? Did we all follow instructions? I did. I did, I did yeah. too. All right. Now, the first thing it, to say about this book is not only that it jumps around physically in, in this reincarnation, but the story jumps around. I mean, it starts at the end, which um, has happened in a few, in all of his earlier novels now that I think about it, right? They all start at the end, final yeah, chapter you know. first, and then you go in to find out what the story is. But this one moves, travels back and forth in time, and even in the now, it doesn't move linearly. So, of course, there's times where we go back and we hear about Daisy's parents when she was younger and her brother when they were kids and stuff. But even when you come back to the now, that isn't always, you know, linear. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it plays around in time, which is something he says in the book he, he specifically wanted to do as, as one of the motivations for his writing this book. So have, oh, I'm sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say that uh, it's interesting that the, that the format of the book is also not um it's it's numerically the chapters are numerically uh consistent so chapter one is noted as chapter one chapter two is chapter two it's only the order that you're supposed to read the chapters that changes so if you had not read the introduction which a lot of people i don't think they they might just skip over introductions as as a lot of people i think do in general you would start with chapter one and you would read all through chapter one. And it's not until you get to the end of chapter one that you would realize, wait a second, this is telling me to go somewhere else. Where should mm-hmm. I have started? Um, yeah. But you could just, if you, if you just blocked out that, that, that direction to go to a specific chapter, I mean, you could still read it chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and, and the chapter titles, the chapter headers would lead you to believe that's totally valid. Yeah, now I'm thinking it's kind of sad that none of us did that because then we could talk about the different experience of others. But here's the problem with that. The way, so it basically bound, it's not completely random. So it goes, you know, and this is just off the top of my head, but it goes like chapter two, chapter 42, chapter three, chapter 41. So it kind of works its way towards the middle from the ends. Mm -hmm. So really when you, when the story culminates, it's in the middle of the book. And I don't think that it would really make sense to anybody to read the ending, which comes... (laughs) smack dab in the middle of the book but there are things that weren't revealed up until that point that would just make it even more chaotic because it is a pretty chaotic story but reading it that way i don't think that you could having read it before i guess you could because you already know what's going to happen so i mean it just kind of unfolds a little differently for you but if it's the first time you're getting into this book and you decide to buy the remix version you need to read it and, and jump from chapter to chapter as directed at the end of each section would that add to the effect, though, if you, if you didn't do that, if you went ahead and just wrote, read it straight through, would that add to the effect of, you know, his intended effect of actually it being sort of a cut and paste kind of novel, you know, like uh, uh, Burroughs' Naked Lunch, he literally wrote a book, then just cut it up into pieces and rearranged the pieces, and that was kind of the book that got published. And it was a weird, you know, mix, and you sort of had to intuit what was going on at certain points, and you didn't learn about things until later on, but if you approached it knowing that it was sort of cut up and, and rearranged, do you think and you would be able to tackle it and still get something out of it? Or do you think it'd still be pointless to do that? I think Livius makes a strong point, but um, about reading the end kind of in the, <laughs> kind of in the yeah. middle, which is going to be unfortunate, but um, thinking about what he says, I think in the introduction was talking about um, his idea of how, when you're reading an article in a magazine, it jumps around um, so you can't really read it front to back like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so like 
I, I'm assuming you could, but it would just be really confusing and probably not as beneficial. But then I was thinking, how awesome would it be if <laughs> he somehow made it make sense both ways, where if you jump to the different chapters, but also if you just followed it, you know, first to last page straight through, like, and, and so it was like two potential different really good experiences. That would have been awesome. That's Danielewski level stuff there. <laughs> yeah. And we shan't taint we shan't taint Danielewski's name. Although I like I like calling it too, obviously. Um, it's well although although if you think about it, I mean the first chapter that they tell you to read and really the first chapter that was in the original version is chapter forty one, which is very close to the end of the book. So in chronological time order the last chapter, the last original chapter, really is what happens last in the book. Pretty oh, much hey. started. Yeah. So I wonder if it'd be interesting to map it out, you know, to see it visually, how things actually happen linearly, linearly, and see if that matches, you know, if, see if that just matches or lines up at all. I'm too, way too lazy to do that, but if anyone listening wants to, <laughs> uh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Some nerd uh, out there, no. Sean Ferguson, do it. It's all I could think about now. It's like, when am I going to have time to read this again straight straight through now to find out if it if it works or not? That's your homework, sir. We'll do book to year 10. We'll do a, the 10-year anniversary of, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Let's talk a little bit about characters. I would, uh, I, I'll open it up and say that what struck me most about these characters is how similar they are in the role they play in the book um, as, as Fight Club, as, you know, the character of, of well, the unnamed narrator, Jack, um, in the novel, and I think it was Joe in the movie or something, um, and, uh, and Tyler Durden's character who, you know, uh, it's, it's weird because the, the relationship they have is very, very similar to the relationship of Daisy and Brandy Alexander, and it makes me wonder if, if you know, this was almost a training book for fight club. You know, it, it was written before fight club. Um, if it was almost a training, he learned kind of what it is. He, he, he learned the sort of dichotomy that he likes and the juxtaposition he likes to put with two characters. It has the very, you know, Paul said before that without the great Gatsby, there would have been no fight club because it has that same sort of the main, the, the real interesting character is the one that the narrator is watching. It's mm-hmm. not the actual narrator. Um, and, and the more I think about it, I mean, you know, there's this book, there's, uh, and it, there's a Fight Club, but I don't know if any of his other books have that same uh, that same formula, but maybe not. Anyway, I don't. Th- I was thinking about it as you were saying it. I don't think so because I think most of his other books focus on one solitary person. Mm-hmm. I think as so. I'm looking at the titles on the screen, every one of them is a single character. I mean, take Haunted out, and it's weird, you know, multi <laughs> short stories. But all of his, you know, just regular straight through novels all focus on one character. After, well, I guess after Invisible Monsters, whatever, depending on how you look at it. But I will agree with you on the uh, on the the striking similarity of those two characters. Um, but then, what what I thought you were going to say, which is a lot weirder and a little more abstract, was that how all the characters are similar to each other. Cause like mm-hmm. if you look at, especially da- Daisy and Brandy and, and well, the Brandy and the Evie character, um, and Manus, uh, all, they're really like variations of a very similar person almost. At least that's how I felt when I was reading the book. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost literally and figuratively, these characters have been cut up and thrown together. Like they've been just kind of cut up in chunks and thrown together. And, you know, 
four different characters have sort of emerged out of all those pieces. So they each share pieces of, uh, of another person and yeah, considering yeah. most of them are, you know, pre or current op, is that what you would call it? Transvestites. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it kind of, it has a literal implications too, that they kind of really are just a big mixing pot of parts and personalities. Yeah. Very like, yeah. Androgynous mix of mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Material during this fight club sex freaks <laughs> during this fight club conversation i had two thoughts first of all i want to say no really there were at least two people um and my second thought my second thought was though is that brandy evie and manis um could almost like if you really wanted to do the fight clubish kind of story with that could have all been you know three personalities of one person you just spoiled Fight Club for so many people. Yeah. <laughs> Let's spoil the movie Identity while we're in. Got seen that one? Yeah. Nope. No. But no. Sorry. Those those three with their with their yeah. personalities could and and you know could actually have been one person and you know some you know trick of the camera or the pen at this point to make us think that they are three individual people. But yeah, that's how well they they fit together when you talk about similarities. Yeah. Maybe that's when Paul and I got the idea for Fight Club, you know. Maybe he got to the end of this book and thought, wow, those could be the same person. Ba-ding! Fight Club. <laughs> book number <Exactly>. two. <laughs> <laughs> and the crazy parents. I, I made that note just because, like, they didn't, they don't appear very often, but Daisy's crazy parents, like, in the in the small scenes that they appear in, I think are just really awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're they weird, get, like, paranoia. They get really awesome toward the end of the novel. I mean, they get like just crazy weird. You know, at first I kind of felt for them. I thought, you know, these are people who are very sad about their son's death and, you know, what, you know, they're doing what they can. They're trying to be, they're trying to help other people become more tolerant of of homosexuals. And by the end of the novel, it was obvious that they were just as starved for attention as, uh, as Brandy Alexander and Daisy are, you know, that's, it's all about vanity for the every single character in this. They really just want to be, they want the finger pointed at them, even if it's a, a, a heated, hated finger. They still want the finger pointed at. <laughs> that that part where it's like, honey, honey, we're finally getting hate crimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, statistically speaking, I am fairly certain that more heterosexual people know what felching is because of this book than any other, any other um, source for for that type of information. Yeah, Do you boy. think if this book were written now, there would have been a dinner's conversation about, you know, the presidential election and they would have said, you know, what's Santorum? And uh, there would have been a whole different conversation, you know, <laughs> erupting from that scenario. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So what what I'm trying to think of and you guys will have to help me. It's like the life decision that the, that the characters, the thematic life decision that the characters have made to do the thing that they would have the worst consequences. What was it? They were that they said there was, you know what I'm talking about? The line in the book. Oh, I know the part you're talking about. I don't, can't offhand think of. Because Brandy said it and, um, and uh, in a way Daisy did too, but they were like doing the thing that was um, their worst choice that they could make to, so they could be free or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Is it the well, one where we're... they were writing stuff on, postcards and sending the postcards out the postcards from the future thing or no no it's just something that happened in a conversation but anyway what i was so they essentially said something along the lines of like uh like so brandy deciding to become a woman wasn't because brandy wanted to be a woman it was because it was like you know the worst possible mistake that could be made that's yeah i do recall that and then 
Daisy with the, you know, being hideously deformed was kind of in the same theme. And I was thinking the parents, too, were just kind of leaning into, like, what's this disaster that could happen to us, you know, that could, you know, kind of justify the bullshit that we went through, that we did to our kids and stuff like that. I don't know. I was trying to draw some thematic connections there. All right. So as we mentioned earlier, um, Rob, it was your first time reading this, but Caleb and I have both read this book. So Caleb, what is your take on rereading it? Do you think you, you know, enjoyed it more? Do you enjoy it less? Was it just the same? Were you bored because you knew what was going to happen? It's a book with a lot of twists and turns. I, uh, I liked it actually quite a bit more this time around. Um, and I don't know if it's because I am comparing it directly to my first read or if I'm comparing it to the sort of uh, general disenfranch- disenfranchisement I've had with Polonix's later work. So I think it's just I, I was so happy to be to sort of fall back in love with with this book um, that it made it so much better for me, you know. And and I think it, it just marks a, a it for a lot of Polonix fans. This is this is the favorite book, and I can definitely see why. Um, it just marks a time when he was so spot on when it came to just cultural commentary, uh, some social commentary and just his phrasings and his way of language was, was used perfectly in this book, uh, when compared to later works, which perhaps it wasn't. I, um, I also, um, loved reading it a second time. I remember really, really enjoying it, you know, the first time. And I started thinking, well, it was a long time ago. So something about reading again, maybe I'm kind of you know, idealizing this book. But um, yeah, I thought it was better a second time around. The nice thing was the places it got really, really messy in weren't as messy for me this time as I remember them being. Like I could follow it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously because I know the outcome and I already knew who all the characters were, were and everything. So I do remember stumbling a little bit and trying to kind of draw the lines and try to figure out what exactly was going on with all these characters, especially when you get, you know, into like two thirds into the book. So um for that, I would say, and I've reread a couple of books, and some of them come off better, and some of them come off worse, or like I said, boring in cases because you've already read it. But certainly, I don't think this is one. This is certainly worthy of a reread, but especially for somebody who hasn't read it in you know eight, ten, twelve years. I guess my perspective is, uh, and I, I I don't even know if this is a question that's going to be raised anywhere, but do you, does someone go through both? You know, if you haven't read it before. There's no reason not to just read the remix now and go because it's everything, right? It's the same thing, yes, but with more. So yes, I think I kind of got in at the exact right time. Unless I wanted to do a reread, I got everything all at once and not having to have read it more than one time. Yeah, you know, I will say. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that's a that's a very good point because now Caleb and I have wasted several hours (laughs) reading this book a second time. That's right. That's right. First time, I should say. Well, I will say that if if anybody out there has a copy of the first book uh, of the first version of the book and, but the, yet they haven't read it yet. I, I would go as so far as to say probably not worth rebuying the book. Um, I think the bonus content w- was probably removed from the first book for a reason. Uh, I don't think it added a whole lot to it. There, there's some memoir pieces in there and obviously I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's some pieces in there of nonfiction and I'm, I'm a pretty good fan of, of, uh, of Polonix nonfiction stuff. So anytime I can get a sort of slice of life of what his real life is like, um, I, and, and I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to that sort of behind the scenes stuff with authors' lives anyway. So uh, it's worth that. It's it's worth reading those pieces, but the additional chapters that are not that are fiction, I just I don't know that it added a whole lot to the story to begin with. Um, especially considering I don't 
you aren't actually directed to those pieces until after you've finished the core novel anyway, if I, if I remember right. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Livius, but you really don't. The, the new stuff isn't integrated into the story. It's really just kind of appears after the story. The bonus content is actually, it's 10 chapters, um, and it's broken up into three sections that you read the same way. So when you find one of them, you start reading it, it directs you to another chapter, another one that kind of loops back just in case. So basically, you could pick it up anywhere within that particular grouping. I have to disagree. I really, really like the bonus fiction chapters. Not all of them. So there were, I think, six or seven of them, I guess seven, and I'd say four of them were just fantastic. Yeah, there was, yeah, in the three groupings, there was one that was comprised of three chapters, one that was comprised of four, and then another three. Um, and two of those groupings were were, bon- were fiction stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I liked that bonus stuff quite a bit. Because, to me, it, it is a turn from what I expected in my mind to have been what happened to these characters after the end of the book. Um I guess I hope that's not spoiling anything, but <laughs> you no. get to see a little bit more in their lives. But like, it's totally not what I expected, and and some of it was just kind of cute and you know anecdotal and not necessary. Um, but the stuff that kind of like is more substantial, I thought was cool because I would not have expected the story to go in that direction. So it was kind of cool, and I <laughs> I like some of the ideas that he put out there that were a little bit more um, I don't know morbid. I guess <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot when the author can basically take a book that's full of twists and turns and add more twists and turns to it, you know, for, for people. It makes me wonder if this bonus content really was part of the original draft or if a lot of it was sort of written. Obviously, the nonfiction pieces were written afterwards, but it makes me wonder if the bonus content was perhaps written, you know, after the original draft was, despite what what the publisher will tell you. I don't know. If it, if it was original, he at least tweaked it to include a Lady Gaga reference. Yeah, there you go. that's true. That's true. That was going to be my one piece where I was going to be like, <laughs> well, there is Lady Gaga. But like, again, it could have been a different, you know, uh, could have been R. Kelly. Or George. Or, yeah, yeah. Or R. Kelly. <laughs> uh, and then just change it later. But um, I, I thought it was cool. So I'm with Livius. I thought it was a, a cool little extra. You guys are wrong. So there. Well. <laughs> we have the podcast. I can edit out you saying that. So. Power freak. <laughs> Autobiographical stuff was also part of the nonfiction stuff where he kind of talks about his life and everything. I, I don't consider talking about real life stuff to be something that's like has the threat of spoilers. And I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but I, what kind of a bragging right is it to be the guy that Chuck Palahniuk used to pay you 20 bucks a shot to tell you how to write? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, I wonder what that guy's perspective is now. Like, well, he's actually pretty, uh, pretty well known. He's he definitely not as commercially successful as Polinick, but Tom Spenbauer is always, he's one of those names that appears in a lot of literary circles and he has some good fiction of his own. But yeah, commercially speaking, he's nowhere nearly as successful as Polinick, I don't yeah. think. He's got all of Monica Drake's furniture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Awesome. He's got a house furnished by her uh, lamps and stuff. <laughs> the autobiographical stuff was cool for anybody who's in that kind of thing if you haven't read Stranger Than Fiction one of the very very few nonfiction books I read is um, you know it's it's whatever 200 something pages of what we were just talking about just real life experiences from Mr. Polinick and it was really really enjoyable I learned more about Cauliflower Ear from that book than um, <laughs> anywhere else in my life 
Did you know about felching before before Invisible Monsters? <laughs> yes, of course. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> Did I know about it? No, you invented know. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Olsen maneuver was too long of a title, so they had to. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh man, I think we need to get onto some quotes. I, I honestly um, don't have. I, I've got just a couple, so I'm gonna I'll let you guys kind of dominate the quotes, which is uncommon. But here's the question: Why is it that you have a couple? I think it was that mix of like just trying to to focus on jumping around the parts of the book. Uh, a part of it was the fact that uh, it's a paper book. That's <laughs> exactly I, it. It's laziness. That's highlight. why I only have like four. <laughs> <laughs> I can't highlight and uh, and look at a nice tidy list of 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 you know quotes in a paper book. So. It's just not as important at that point. It's like, you know what? Um, either give me a nice electronic version that I can be organized in or suffer from the fact that I'm just not going to quote your book. <laughs> Take that, Polonic. Yes. <laughs> I took pictures with my cell phone. So I think wow. I have six. And I pro- honestly, I'd probably have 30 if I read this on my Kindle. Oh, before we get into quotes, too, talking about taking pictures with cell phones, part some of the chapters in the book and the, and the bonus content are reversed so you have to look at them he 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 did a thing where he was like oh you know the older people are going to be so angry that they have to go look at this in a mirror uh well chuck i know you're listening (laughs) i took a picture with my iphone of the pages and then i went into aperture and i just flipped them so that they read like a regular book and i just read them that way so no mirrors for this guy you clever man i know caleb's going there's sections you have to read in a mirror (laughs) yeah Caleb just read them backwards. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> he read them right to left. I did it wrong. Uh, who wants to kick off quotes? I do. Actually, I really want to do it this time. Um, this has probably been one of my favorite quotes. I think I had this written in the back of one of my journals probably for four or five years. And this uh-huh. is very, very early on in the book. Um, I actually sent Rob a text message and said, this time I'm taking one of the quotes. I don't care if you pick it or not because we do tend to land on the same ones. I was like, this one's mine. And it, uh, it takes place, I think, oh, this is probably chapter one, and um, there's a, whatever, I may go into it. They're at a wedding, and the house is on fire, and the bride is going to kill the protagonist. You know, so there you go. It's all spoiled for you. But, um, God, what do we say? We call her Daisy. Daisy is, is standing there, and Brandy Alexander is bleeding out right at her feet, and the line is, or another thing is, no matter how much you think you love somebody, you'll step back when the pool of their blood edges up too close. <laughs> That's awesome. I that texted, Livius told me, he's like, there's a quote, and it's mine. And like an hour later, I texted him back. I was like, found it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Caleb, you got any? Yeah, I do. I have a couple. Um this first, this this one is from. Uh, it's spoken from Daisy's perspective, and I don't remember the context exactly, but I do recall why I chose it. So here it is. Uh, I don't smoke. I tell her that these matchbooks pile up because I'm too polite not to take them, and I'm too frugal to just throw them away. That's why it takes a whole kitchen drawer to hold them. All these men I can't remember and their telephone numbers. Uh, I love that because it's one of the really rare glimpses we get of really kind of true compassion from really any of the characters. Uh, it's just a, it's a very honest moment, a very, uh, a very honest time that, that you don't get throughout the rest of the book, very telling of the character. And it actually happens fairly early in the book. So it does paint this character early on as being, uh, 
potentially good-hearted. It is, yeah, that sympathetic moment where you're like, all right, I get you. I can see. I can feel you there. I have a quick one that I just like. This, um, I don't know if I really need to do much setup. The, The line is, no doubt this is the kind of stress the constantly mutating AIDS virus must feel. I like that because, like, uh, the, the the perspective for Daisy, uh, who was thinking this line, was um, her brother. You find out early in the book her brother died of AIDS. And so, like, there's a little bit of AIDS talk throughout the book. And, um, and so that's why it comes up. But I just thought it was, like, uh, never in my life would I think, oh, I'm stressed out like AIDS is. <laughs> so I dug it. I thought, it, you know what I'm saying? It's... <laughs> I never thought it'd be possible to uh, <laughs> to humanize AIDS, and now I feel bad for AIDS. Oh, AIDS, that sucks. Yeah. I'm having a bad day. It's got to be nothing like AIDS, though. <laughs> like AIDS. <laughs> so. AIDS just lost its house, its car is broken down, it lost its girlfriend uh, to AIDS. <laughs> yeah, poor AIDS. <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> This next um, quote is also from the perspective of the protagonist, and she is uh, just taken off. She's, she's getting hot and sweaty inside her veils that she's got covering her, you know, half face. Her jaw is completely missing, and uh, she looks into a mirror, and it's uh, she says, "Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all?" The evil queen was stupid to play Snow White's game. There's an age where a woman has to move on to another kind of power—money, for example, or a gun. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Uh, this uh, next one from me is a little context to this one. Uh, when Daisy's in the hospital throughout the book, uh, I assume it's a Catholic hospital because there are nuns as nurses all over the place. And the nuns seem to be really interested in helping Daisy uh, overcome her physical deformities now that you know she's had her face blown off. And uh, one, this one nun in particular says some, something that's, that's pretty great. So... Uh, the nurse brings me the personal classified ads from a newsletter. Sister Catherine peers down her nose and through her glasses to read. Guys seeking slim, adventurous girls for fun and romance. And yes, it's true. Not one single guy specifically excludes hideous, mutilated girls with growing medical bills. Sister, Sister Catherine tells me, These men you can write to in prison, they don't need to know how you really look. <laughs> so... These these sisters, it's strange because they they're so obsessed with appearance in the same, really kind of the same way, just sort of transposed that you know uh, Daisy and Brandy are very strange. Yeah, in a way where it's like they're so focused on telling you how much your appearance doesn't matter that the only thing that they're talking about is your appearance. Um, and my next quote tags directly onto this. It's the same nurse. It's the same situation. And this is the quote. You probably don't want to date a rapist, not right off. Nobody is that desperate. One of the asides I liked from the story as it plays kind of back and forth in time, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, there, I think it's three photo shoots that um, that Evie does with our protagonist. And um, they're all in these horrible places. And this kind of explains that whole that whole theory. The uglier the fashions, the worse places we'd have to pose to make them look good. Junkyards, slaughterhouses, sewage treatment plants. It's the ugly bridesmaid tactic where you only look good by comparison. One shoot for industry jeans wear, I was sure we'd have to pose kissing dead bodies. I'm only going to go with one more, even though I think I have like three or four. Um, 
This is uh, Brandy um, talking about the very, very large breasts that um, I guess technically he had implanted as, uh, as he, she is a pre-op transsexual. Is that the correct term? Did we cover this earlier? Transgendered, um, yeah. Trans, thank you. Yeah. So this is Brandy's voice. Um, after they give you the tits, your nipples are cockeyed and way too high, she says. They use a razor to shave the nipples off and relocate them. That's her word, relocate. The Brandy Alexander Nipple Relocation Program. <laughs> Caleb, do you have any more? Oh, I'm out. All right. I had another thing noted as a quote, but we're not going to do any book theater tonight. So if anybody just wants to check out the uh, the reason Livius brought up felching earlier, go to chapter 38 in the book, and it's the, the conversation that takes place over Thanksgiving dinner. It's hilarious and really righteously offensive but in a funny way so i'm not going to read it but it's there and i want you to know probably one of my more favorite parts in the book for just really messed up dialogue all right so who wants to uh do a wrap up and, and give this uh, a rating um i think one of you guys should start it i can go ahead and start it that way uh it ends on the on the official duo if that works okay, cool fair enough um, oh hey before I, I, you start Oh, yeah. You know, it's like a one to five star thing because, like, we had David Keaton on. And he's like, "Oh, I didn't know we did this." <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Oh, I, unlike David Keaton, I listened to this podcast. <laughs> All right, well, see. There's your bumper. There's your bumper. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, um, I, I, I absolutely fell back in love with this book. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it, for fans of Polinick who really wish. For the glory days to return. This is a great way to sort of re-experience something that you probably haven't given much thought to in, in quite a number of years. Um, it's got the great, all the great elements of Polinic, you know, the clever twists of phrase, the wider social and cultural commentary, the characters that are just almost too much, but still just believable enough to really keep you going throughout the story. Um, I give it uh, four out of five stars. Rob? So, like I said in the originally, I, I tried to read this book before there was a remix version, before there was a podcast that made me do what I said I was going to do, and um, didn't get too far into it, you know, 40 pages or something, and, and I don't know how to explain it. It just wasn't working for me at the time. Um, but yeah, then it, it came back, and I read it, and uh, blasted through it in a day. Really enjoyed it. I'll echo everything Caleb just said. Um, it's it's totally a like the epitome of a Polonic book, and it's a good read. It's it's the only yeah, the only problem I had with it is like, and this is probably just very much a subjective, you know, my feeling reading it. Not necessarily something that's a flaw of the book. It's just I was like, all right, I get it. You know, this seems like it was a little bit too much, too much Polonic for for the sake of the book. But um, otherwise, yeah, I dug it a lot and. Um, I think it was a pretty good book, so I'm going to go three and a half stars. Um, I think Caleb put it best when he said he fell back in love with it. I mentioned earlier that you know I knew I really liked this book, and I was looking forward to reading it again. And I, man, I don't think I was 15 or 20 pages in, and it was like this wash of warmth over me, reminding me how much I enjoyed this the first time I read it. The plot is a little over the top. Um, I think it's one of the things I love about it is that he took us out of a comfort zone and, and put us with some just whack jobs on a, you know, semi cross country trip that's just fueled by prescription pills and, and you know, ways to 
people out of fashion and makeup and um, just funny enough in parts um, with the parents, with um, with uh, Daisy's outlook on some things. Um, you know, you get your big over-the-top Brandy character. I couldn't find a single flaw in it reading it a second time. I read books differently now since we've been doing this podcast. I almost look for the things to kind of nitpick at, and I just genuinely couldn't find it in this book, and it's just five stars. Wow. Yeah. Five yeah. stars. Mm-hmm. So that's it, folks. That's Invisible Monsters Remix. Uh Crazy. That's it's kind of across the board. Three and a half is still pretty high, but uh, a four and a five. Livius, traditionally mm-hmm. the more um, <laughs> the more generous with giving stars than I am, so I guess that kind of makes sense. You haven't done a five star book in a while, though, have you? No. Oh no, no, we did. Um, um, Matt Bell's book. Oh, Cataclysm Baby. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was definitely a five star book. That's true. That was the book that started out uh, you thinking this is going to be a zero-star book, pretty much, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, just horribly depressed. I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever read. I think you made Matt, I think you made Matt Bell feel bad for how disturbed. Yeah, he that, uh... should feel bad, because there's something wrong with that guy to be able to put that stuff down like that. That's not right. But I think he also kind of took it as a compliment. It just seemed like the tone of it was, oh, yeah, I made this guy feel really bad. But it was almost braggy. Well, I mean, I, I can't imagine he wasn't looking for just the most dismal reaction possible writing that story or that, that series of stories. That's some shaky grounds there. Caleb, what's going on with you? What, what can we look forward to seeing from you coming up in the near future? I would say... Uh... In the nearest future, um, I have a story coming out in the Solar Side anthology, uh, which off the top of my head, I'm horrible because I honestly cannot remember which. Oh, no, I do know it. It's a story called um, Vertigo Imbalanced, I believe. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reprint, but it's a story that, that appeared only in a very low distribution paper magazine a long time ago. So I doubt anybody's actually read it. It's really one of my favorite stories. So. A lot of good company in there, too. I'm not sure when that comes out, um, but I am definitely looking forward to it. Uh, the site, SolarSide, uh, SolarSide.com, is that right? Um, yes. Rob, Rob, watch this. This is going to be great. Do you know what the anthology is called, Caleb? Uh, <laughs> do, you know, do you know when it comes out, Caleb? Because we I know don't know when it comes out. I don't think I've ever known when it comes out. No. That to be to be fair to be fair I I don't I don't recall I don't remember the title and that's horrible on me. But do you do you know what page number your your story's on? Because I do. It's toward the very end. I do know that. <laughs> I do know that part. It's on page one hundred thirty-one. Because what I do is I pretty much look at any table of contents and see where my name appears on it. That's that's really what I do. You're right. Well, you're right about that much. <laughs> Um, the anthology is called Nova Parade. Uh, I believe the official release date will be July 1st. That's correct. Oh, that's pretty soon. That is pretty soon. <laughs> do, you know, do you know why we know that, Caleb? I believe uh, you may be discussing it in some type of, of audio forum sometimes. <laughs> yes. See, now he's yes. just getting cocky. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to review that next. We couldn't pass up that table of contents. I mean, I didn't get far enough down to see where you were in it. But, um, you know, just going through the first, you know, three quarters of it, I was like, look at all this talent. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't keep reading the table of contents because then you might have decided against reviewing it had you got to the end of the table of contents. So, oh, no. See, we like Jeremy Robert Johnson and his story is last. <laughs> <laughs> Although I agree, his stories are great. So there we go. 
normally we mention this at the end of the show, but yeah, I mean, some of the other people that are going to be in that um, anthology, um, along with Caleb, Amanda Gowan, Nikki Gerlain, Bradley Sands, Andre Bergen, Richard Thomas, and a slew of others. It's got to be like 30 people, right, Rob? Dude, Jeremy Robert Johnson, Michael Paul Gonzalez, a lot of people that we've talked about, talked about or with before. Um, yeah, it's, it looks like it's about 25, 25 people. It kind of feels almost like warmed and bound too. And, and just based on the people that are in it and the type of writing that I anticipate it being. So if you like Warmed and Bound, Warmed and Bound. So one thing I was going to ask you, uh, Caleb, and I guess maybe you're not the right choice, <laughs> is it seems like now uh, the cover of the book is is it's the uh, the the masks, the two masks, the smiling mask and the sad mask, the, the tragedy and comedy tragedy, ones. Yeah. Is that kind of the theme of the, the anthology? That if you're aware of the theme of the <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly I don't know. I would assume so, but at the same time I think tragedy comedy is sort of a universal overlay to really any story or any collection. So I think it, that probably helps make the collection more all encompassing. Um, but I don't know. And and you know, in my defense, a lot of times that type of information isn't known mm-hmm. when, uh, when an author uh, submits a story or, you know, a lot of times they wait till they get stories together and they see oh, what what's the thematic thing that bridges these together. So, uh, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> well, we're definitely not trying to paint you as a criminal, but um, the guns to my head already. <laughs> it's too late. Guys. It's it's been too much fun to to not continue. I can take it. I can take it. It's been a long time since we've since we've hung out. This is fun. I have it all. Uh, I have a whole sack full of uh, barbs and 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 insults that I want to throw at you, but I'll keep them short. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So uh, Nova Parade. Anything else we can look forward to coming up? Um, I have a story. I don't know when it's coming out, but actually in the next Noir at the Bar anthology um, that uh, Jedediah has put together, um, it's actually the story that I read at the Meshuggah Cafe uh, that you guys were kind enough to, to come along with and, and enjoy, I hope. Um, it's called The Lipidopterist, and that I honestly don't know when that one comes out, but that one will hopefully be coming out, I think, fairly soonish within the next couple of months. And then the last... Uh, the, the last kind of thing that's really on the radar is uh, I just finished up my edits for a book that myself, uh, Nick Corpin, uh, Richard Thomas, and Axel Tiari all put together that has a working title of Four Corners, but that's not the, uh, I don't think that'll be the end title at all. Um, so it's sort of a, a novel told in four different novellas over the course of a year. Each one of us has our own season and our own district of the city, sort of a dystopian noir pretty much this kind of stuff that you would expect from the four authors participating. <laughs> so, uh, so, but it's really cool. It's, I think it's probably the most plot driven type of thing that any of us have ever written. So it's more page Turner type of type of material, which was new ground for a lot of us. But, um, but really, I, I just, like I said, I just read the entire thing for the first time uh, last, finished it up last night and it's, I'm really excited about it. So. We've been waiting a long time for someone to mention that on the show, so we didn't have to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> so you started talking about it, and I was like, I just want to be like, yes, finally. Just talk about this a little bit. So it's finally starting to see the light of day, I think. So now we can actually talk a little bit about it, uh, which is fun for me because I'm pretty excited about it. Of all the projects that I've heard talked about on this show, this is the one I've been the most in this. I mean, we heard about this, I guess, kind of off the show, but it's the one I've been most excited and looking forward to read now for. Going on a year, I guess, is probably when you guys started doing this, right? It was right around Warmed and Bound? 
Yeah, it was actually shortly after Warmed and Bound. It was originally going to be thought of as sort of the next release from the Velvet Press. I don't think that concept is, is, is I don't think that's where it's going to go. But, uh, but yeah, it was sort of put together about that time and, and it just is now materializing. So, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> when Livius and I talk, we're like, we, we just want some sort of taste of it because it's it's something – I mean we obviously like the authors and stuff and we know the authors. So it's like why haven't we seen anything of this yet, you know? Like we're, we're like entitled and impatient about it. Like why haven't – why aren't we in on this process so we can't have already read it? <laughs> well, now that I know there's there's anticipation, it looks like I'm going to have to put another couple edits into that thing. And we can build up I'll, – I'll tell you. We can build up hype. Um, I've learned this recently because I've had people asking about the – fuckload of scotch tape and where they can watch it or where they can read the stories so i know that we're hype builders People... you guys are just glorious gems all around i must say <laughs> that's not a barb at all you're doing that this... one's that one's that one's the rare that's a rare glimpse of, of authenticity you'll get from me of of honesty and truth you guys do good work and i love listening to your podcast i often go to sleep listening to your sexy voices no, oh, you know, put me to sleep. That kind of sounds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Caleb, we were having trouble with the recording. Could you just say that one more time? <laughs> yeah, um, I hate you guys, and you guys are stupid. I think oh, that's God. what I said, right? All right, it's close enough. <laughs> Everybody only gets one honest thing from Caleb. Uh, uh, sorry, and if you didn't get it, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> My trick didn't work, Livius. <laughs> All right, so uh, one other thing, a couple other things of note to mention, but one other thing that I'm very excited about, and I'm actually going to announce this so the other guy I'm going to talk about doesn't feel comfortable having to toot his own horn there, but um, Manarchy Magazine relaunched today. So whenever you're listening to this, just pretend it's that day because you can go right to the website. And one of the first articles you'll see on there is a review of Flossed by uh, my co-host, Rob. Yeah, I actually um, I put words together instead of just uh, speaking them out loud. Um, and and they were nice enough to publish it up there on the website. So I have a review up at Manarchy. It's kind of exciting. The book review guy has a movie review up at an online magazine. It's, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's, or now what direction? Is that like a lateral move? Is that a step up? Is it a step down? I don't, I don't know how to consider movie, it. Movie reviewers get paid. Yeah, well, I didn't. So you figure wait, it out, exactly. Wait a minute. <laughs> Shit. I'm doing this all wrong. Well, I wrote it up. All right, here's the thing. I wrote about both the stories and the movies, or the movie, and I didn't know what it would be categorized as, so I didn't give them a title or anything or really give them a category to put it in. They just kind of did it for me. So it, it wasn't even – I didn't know I was writing a movie review. Maybe that's what I did wrong. And let's not, let's not be all crazy mysterious. Pela Via is heading up the re-released Manarchy magazine. So a uh, guest on this show and a friend of the show for a long time. So congratulations to her on her relaunch. And uh, look forward to seeing uh, a lot of cool stuff on there. Caleb, are we going to see in Manarchy Magazine? Actually, yes, uh, since you asked. Um, I don't have anything up there yet, but I will have a review column called the uh, called the Connoisseur Artificionado. And uh, it's basically <laughs> going to be me reviewing things like scotch and cigars as I am imbibing the reviewed items. So expect the scotch reviews to be sort of drunken slurries. And I don't really know how the cigar reviews will be affected by me imbibing them. A lot of coughing. Coughing, yeah. I write those. I have to smoke outside, uh, so maybe it'll be dark and I won't be able to see what I'm typing. So there'll be maybe typos, things like that. I'm not sure. That's right. I did see you up on the uh, on the masthead there. I, I, 
I thought I thought I thought I saw you there. Yeah, I'm looking at your picture right now. There's some sort of giant match or something. It's really weird. You mean really sexy? I, that's what I meant. You know, synonymous for Rob. Yeah, same thing. Weird. Weird equals sexy. So get over to manarchymag.com. Um, check out Rob's article. Um, there's um, short stories up. There's lots of good content. So just get over there. Take a look. Click a like button. Share with your friends. Oh, can I? Uh, I, I want to wind back the clock just a little bit. Caleb mentioned, um, and I read in, in preparation for talking about Invisible Monsters, and we didn't bring it up at all. There's an article over at Lit Reactor called Booked versus Book. I said booked. Book versus book, <laughs> uh, Invisible Monsters versus the Invisible Monsters remix, and it's a interesting uh, perspective on reading. Having read both the books, and he talks a little bit more about uh, the mechanics of how it's laid out and everything. So I'm going to leave a, a link for that article up on uh, the post for this uh, episode. If you're thinking about reading the remix, it's uh, it's good information. Caleb, do you write a lot of horror? Not that I'm aware of, but some people have called it that. Yes. <laughs> Just wanted to mention our uh, still current promotion for the rest of the year. Our promotion with May December publications, a premier publisher in the horror genre. Um, Rob, tell them how they can win a, a year's worth of free books. Uh, so the what you have to do is pretty simple. You essentially have to read a May December publications book, and like Olivia's pointed out in a previous episode, uh, usually they're giving them away. You know, they got something good that they're giving away on a pretty regular basis. So if you're completely averse to actually buying a book, you could probably get get one in one of their giveaways and uh, once you've read one of their books go to Amazon drop a review whether it's a good review or a bad review um, and then uh, comment on your review saying heard about this through booked once you do that that's an entry into their little promotion they'll do a drawing I think it's December 15th mm -hmm. began in May ends in December Livius is just enchanted by that um, amazing <laughs> and uh, yeah they'll do a drawing and uh, I think it's one lucky person's going to win a book a month for 2013 from May December publications. Free stuff, guys. Lots of free stuff. So very cool. All right, and uh, up next we have book news with Skip Papersley. Actually, it saddens me to say that we're not going to have a book to news this week. Um, this is crazy. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I know. I got a frantic uh, text message from... <laughs> From Skip, uh, just today, I, you know, because the other day we were talking, he was going to give me the book news. Uh, sent me a message today. He, uh, <laughs> in the process of researching, he he saw that uh, John Grisham's Calico Joe is still on the New York Times bestsellers in fiction top five. Uh, that caused him to have a mild aneurysm, and so he's in the hospital recovering. He's doing fine, uh, but he won't be able to get us a book news this week. Uh, he he will be back next week with some book news though oh that's that saddens me yeah and he says damn what you john grisham damn you to hell so poor poor skip papersley just couldn't handle grisham's calico joe uh he couldn't find another way to make fun of calico joe uh and, <laughs> he said to do it like seven weeks in a row now i know and it just put him in the hospital he just couldn't he collapsed under the stress when so. you said a text message you meant a telegram right no, and he has futuristic. Said, uh, he has futuristic technology for his time. And when you said that, he said, "Damn you, John Grisham! Damn you!" You probably meant he said, "Damn you, John Grisham! Damn you to hell!" <laughs> well, is, yeah. Is that, okay. <laughs> it was post aneurysm. Is that what you're yeah, getting at? Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I'm so glad we kept Caleb on for, for this sport. <laughs> Sorry, you can. Wow. You can, you can do that if you want. Oh, I love it. He's gonna look skip. That's gonna be the thing that 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 brings him out of the hospital. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no no book news this week, which is really really sad. Well, then I'm done. There's nothing else to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I think Livius wanted to do some sort of Patterson watch and gave up on that. And yeah, once once book news is gone, everything just falls apart. So uh, we mentioned it a little bit before. Next episode, we're going to be talking about the upcoming Solar Side anthology. Caleb, what's the name of it? Uh, Nova Parade. All right, <laughs> featuring. A bunch of people we know, Caleb being one of them, and uh, uh, yeah, that's going to be our review for next week. Caleb, what's your story called in there? It is called Vertigo Unbalanced. I've been okay. stuck. <laughs> We're going to hold you to that if we can get you know down the list that far in the next week to, to where you are in that book. So, um, Caleb, thanks again for joining us. Tell people where they can get a hold of you. Uh, CalebJRoss.com. More information about me than you would possibly ever want to know, but it is there in case you do. And don't forget the sexy videos. I was going to say, I really like your video blog. And um, every time I see your video blog, I'm like, oh, we could be doing this in another dimension. We're just doing audio. Uh, and I <laughs> get know, a little I bit jealous. Say, uh, first of all, thank you very much. But I will say what you're doing with audio is way more difficult than video. Uh, <laughs> with video, there's a lot of... Uh, visual elements to distract you from from the words that are being said so i don't have to be nearly as smart you guys have to be smart i just have to be stupid for two minutes so it's definitely better but i have i have a ton of fun with the video blog so yeah people should check it out uh he does he does hold up shiny things fairly often now that he now that he mentions and he's got those graphics and things are moving and yeah (laughs) that's my forehead reflection Sorry. And I'm not even joking. Seriously, now that I've said that, you're going to be paying attention to that in any episode you watch, and you're going to notice it. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's going to be the only thing I look for now. <laughs> yep, it will. I'm going to be like, I just watched three minutes of stuff. I don't know what he said. <laughs> All right. I think we're good, guys. Good show. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I, I definitely appreciate it. All right, that'll wrap it up for our Invisible Monsters Remix special review with Caleb J. Ross episode. I'm Rob Olson. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Caleb J. Ross. Damn you, John Grisham. Damn you to hell. Damn you, John Grisham. Damn you to hell. Damn you, John Grisham. Damn you to hell.